you haven't noticed, we're celebrating Advent as we step up into the Christmas season. I guess we're well into it now. As you travel around, you notice it's getting busy. That seems to be the sign that we're entering the Christmas season. And uh, we, we celebrated hope, and tonight we want to talk about an expectation of faith. And, and part of what we want to do as we celebrate Advent is to remind ourselves that this is not just something new um, that we're doing. That we're part of centuries, of generations, generations of generations, people that looked by faith, that trusted by hope, and uh, toward what Christmas really was all about and what it meant. But I was thinking, you know, we live in a day of Amazon two-day two free shipping, don't we? We want everything now. We want it fast. And we rush through life at breakneck speed. It seems like sometimes I feel like I'm always running 15 minutes behind. You know, you're just—there's always so many things on the go. And uh, I think sometimes for me, and it's probably not just me, that sometimes we start thinking that God needs to operate on our schedule. How many are guilty of that, right? You're like, you know, I I need it, I need it now, God, and it's a great thing, and this is when I need it done, as if we got to counsel God. And and I think that we, as we celebrate, especially an expectation of faith tonight, is that we need to take a, a step back and understand that most saints stood in the place of not yet. Not yet. Now, if you're a parent, you know this really well if you travel with kids. (laughs) <laughs> I know, I know which ones, you know where I'm going with this, right? You hop in and you try to explain to your three, especially at three and four-year-olds or two, three and four, they don't understand any concept of time. And so if you're going on a 10-hour journey um, and you say, you know, we're going to leave and we're going to take off and we're going to be driving all day, that doesn't seem to register because you get on the road for an hour and then, of course, somebody's getting sick in the back seat. Usually that happens first and you get that all cleaned up and you're going and then you hear what you don't want to hear, especially one hour into it. Are we there yet? <laughs> And you have to say, what? No, we are not there yet. And they don't understand the concept of distance. They don't understand that each turn of the tires, each exit sign that we drive by, is a necessary part of arriving at the intended destination. And instead they see the exits for that sign, and they're like, are are we there yet? And you have to say, no, we are not there yet. And you know what? I find as I read the Bible, that's actually the case for most of the saints of God. That we always have that tension of, are we there yet? And God's like, no, we are not there yet. And so this evening as we think about the expectation of faith, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Because this is something that was experienced by many people. Hebrews 11, um, as you're turning there, reminds us of that tension. The Bible says there were other people were tortured, not accepting release, so they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. That's God's kind of, you know, statement on that. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. There was nothing wrong with their faith. But listen what God says. They did not receive what was promised. They were in there not not yet. Not yet. They did not receive what was promised. And God actually gives us the reason. He says in Hebrews 11, Since God had provided something better for us, 
so that they would not be made complete without us or perfect without us. God's like, listen, I want more people in my kingdom. I want more people to be part of my kingdom. Therefore, you were stuck in the not yet. Because my plan was for even many more multitudes of many nations singing my praises. And therefore, you were in a not yet. And I'm glad that God delayed, aren't you glad, his kingdom? Because that means we can be a part of it because of his delay. And so many ways, we today are like the not yet. Soon, but not yet. And so we're looking at an Old Testament saint in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 35. And as I was reading this this week, I thought, you know what? Or last week, I really thought, this really exemplifies the expectation of faith, especially as it comes to Christmas. So why don't you read with me? In verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, it says, At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, that's Jesus, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory and glory to your people Israel. And his mother and his father marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this Christmas season, we really, in many ways, are in a same kind of circumstance of Simeon that we are in the not yet. But this time, instead of the first return that we're looking for, we're waiting for your second return. And so I thank you that we can celebrate with the saints of old that a Savior has come. And we look forward to the day when he returns, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to bring righteousness, a righteous rule upon our land. And so, Father, help us to look at what an expectation of faith looks like in our lives today. From Simeon's life, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, as we think about the book of Luke, I just want to do just a little background. Luke wrote his gospel. You probably know he was a doctor. And so he wrote his gospel, he says in Luke chapter 1, so there would be an orderly and detailed account of what they were being told orally. Because we know something that oral traditions tend to get enhanced, right? I, I've read um, stories of like Davey, David Boone and, uh, was it, um, Daniel Boone, sorry, and David Crockett. And, and I'm told that the real guys were not quite like the stories. That they actually didn't wrestle, you know, uh, bears with their bare hands and stuff like that. They just kind of got exaggerated as time went on, as the stories around the campfire grew. And so Luke said, listen, you have, we are telling and communicating the message of Jesus, but I want it to stay accurate. 
And so I'm writing down, he says in Luke chapter 1, you can read it in just a few verses. I'm writing down a detailed and orderly account for you. Now Luke was really concerned about this, presenting the fact that there was a promised fulfillment of a Savior. Matter of fact, Savior and salvation is mentioned more in Luke than any of the other Gospels combined. He wanted it to be declared that a Savior had been revealed for all nations. And, as, and that's why he'll actually record Simeon saying that, that the Messiah had come not just for Israel, but for all people. And so it's interesting that Luke, of all the writers, also felt compelled to write a companion volume, which is the book of... Luke wrote, write the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Very good. And so it's interesting. What is the book of Acts? To help see that the gospel message, right, went not only to Israel, but it went through the whole world. That God's message was for the whole world to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the, for the most part, Philip Brooks got it right when he talks about um, the, the birth of Jesus Christ. When he wrote, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Because for the most part, when Jesus came, he came as silently as any baby came, right? <laughs> um, I don't know if they gave him the slap to get him to breathe or whatever, but um, get him to cry out. But, but as silently as any baby came, that's the way that Jesus did. There was no fanfare. There were no trumpets. There was nothing on the day of his birth. The Bible says in John 1, 10 to 11, he was in the world, and although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Kind of reminds me, I, I heard a story about in 1809, there was a traveler passing through Kentucky. He stopped at a store and said, anything unusual happened around here lately? The store owner said, nope. He said, there was nothing unusual. He said, there was just a baby born at the Lincoln cabin. It turned out to be Abraham Lincoln. Quite a pivotal character, if you understand history. But he said, ah, just a baby was born. And for the most part, that's the way it was for Jesus' birth. But there were some that really paid attention that first Christmas. There were some that understood the significance of Jesus' birth. And Simeon was one of these men. And so as I think about his faith, as revealed in the, the passage we just read, the first thing I, I really notice about his faith is this, that faith clings to God's promises when circumstance dictate otherwise. Faith clings to God's promises when circumstances dictate otherwise. Because here's a man that the Bible talks about Simeon, and it says that he was a devout man. It wasn't that he just showed up every couple weeks, checked in on the temple and said, ah, has God's Messiah showed up? But he faithfully served day in and day out, week after week, and year after year, even though there would have been a steady stream of babies going through the, de uh, the, uh, the temple, you know, to get dedicated and all that, and the Bible doesn't say how long he waited, but it was long enough for him to build a testimony that he was a devout man of God. That he was devout, that he was committed, that he was faithful. Day after day, week after week, year after year, he looked forward to the one who would rescue. Because God told him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's anointed. And he stayed faithful and focused. I think there you see the tenacity of true faith. Now, I understand that you can have true faith, and um, genuine faith does not mean that you never doubt, right? Peter doubted. Genuine faith does not mean that you don't get discouraged. There was men in the Bible get discouraged, or even deny, 
Think about Peter, he denied Christ. Or, or even demand. Think of John and his brother James. You know what I mean? They demanded of God and they said, we want this. But you know, true faith holds on to God's promises, even when circumstances dictate otherwise. Now, tradition puts Simeon as an old man. If that is true, can you imagine year after year him waiting for the Lord's Messiah? I wonder if he ever had doubts. Will the Savior really come? Will I really live long enough? Did I, did I hear God correctly? I think some of us would say probably the hardest thing in our Christian life is to let God be God. Right? We would say we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe in the wisdom of God. Yet sometimes we really want him to run on our schedule. And I'm sure that every year, Simeon, you know, when he rang in the new year, was thinking, you know, is this the year that the Messiah will be here? And to be honest, it wouldn't have looked promising. It really wouldn't have. It had been 400 years since God had sent the last prophet to speak to them. 400 years. And Canada's been a nation for, what, 150 400 years since they had heard from God. Israel is now ruled by a foreign power. Rome really dictated the rules and the schedule and the taxation of, of Israel. They were under a Roman rulership. I'm sure he noticed also the, the holy priesthood, the ones that were supposed to be serving God so faithfully. They'd, they'd descended into basically corruption. The priesthood was almost sold to the highest bidder at the time when, when Jesus enters the scene. And I'm sure he was discouraged at, the, at just the corruption that was in the religious um, you know, um, practice of the Jewish nation. And as Simeon looks around, there would have been nothing to indicate that the Savior was going to appear on the scenes. That year as Simeon went faithfully to the temple, there was nothing to indicate that God was going to fulfill his promise. Simeon, the Bible says very clearly, here he says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel in verse 25. Interesting word. To console is to alleviate grief or to take away a sense of loss or trouble. In other words, Simeon was saying, listen, I am waiting year after year for somebody to bring comfort. I'm waiting year after year to somebody help me out of our trouble. For years he waited for God to, to bring the one who would rescue him for his comfort. And after years, things were only getting worse. Because here's the thing, God acts in his own time. Remember when the uh, disciples, after Jesus died and rose again, they said to him, when is the kingdom coming? In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath appointed. But here's the thing that is cool. God was at work even when Simeon couldn't see it. Galatians 4, 4 reminds us very clearly that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, which means that at the right time, at the appointed moment, God sent his son. It wasn't some sort of random, you know, oh, i got to get my son into history at some point. It says, at the exact, the appointed time, God sent his son. In many ways, I think that God was preparing the world for a Savior to appear, for Jesus to appear. And he looked at Rome and says, what? We are being enslaved by Rome. But you know what Rome did? They brought peace. You know what Rome did? They built roads. So as they went with the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? There are the roads to travel on. There was fair, you know, a fair good safety as they could travel. And you'll notice that the gospel at first spread where? Just in the boundaries that Rome controlled. 
which was a, a significant amount of the world at that time. I'm sure he looked around and he saw the, the pagan culture of, 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 of the Greek culture. It influenced his country. And he says, oh, you know, woe is me. The pagan culture is encroaching in Israel. But you know what, you know what the Greeks brought? A common, common um, language. So that you didn't always have to learn the language. If you know, knew the common Greek, that you could go out with the message of Jesus Christ and you'd share it. It would be faster. God was preparing the world. The Jews, in that 400 silent years, were copying the scriptures faithfully. They were building synagogues where people would study the word of God, where if you notice in Acts, that when they would go to a new city, where would they go? To the synagogues that had been built and start preaching Jesus there. When I think about that, I, I was thinking when we wait and wait and wait, and it seems like nothing is happening, rest assured that God is still at work. That God is preparing, that God is at work. Simeon held on to God's promise that he, he would live to see the comfort of Israel. Isaiah 12, 1 is probably a scripture that was on his heart. It says, On that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you have comforted me. And I don't know how many years that Simeon asked, when is the comfort going to come? But I do know they stayed devout because he clung to God's promise and said, God has promised, and I'm going to wait upon his promise. I'm going to trust that he's going to fulfill his promise. Can I ask you this evening, what promises are you holding on to? What promises are you clinging to? You cling to, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe it's dark, and maybe it's been going on a long time, and you're saying, God, you promised that you would hold me fast, and I don't see a light out of this. Maybe you're hanging on to, you know, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. Maybe you're holding on to God that you work things all together for good, and it's dark, and you're like, I don't understand what you're doing, but rest assured, guess what? God is at work even when we can't see it. As a body of believers, there's something that we all are holding fast onto. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.13, based on his promise, we wait for a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. Actually, just turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. There's a couple, couple of verses I just want to uh, point out if, if you turn there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Says so there's a promise that as believers we hold to that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But notice what he says in verse um, 2 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter. He says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through the apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. <laughs> God has promised, I'm returning. I'm coming back one day. And he says, there will be people that say, what? It doesn't look like that. Look at the world around you. There is no indication that God is going to fulfill his promise. But over and over, he says this. He says, um, do not overlook this fact, fact in verse 8, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his, what's the next word? Promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. You know, this world 
may call us to live for its temporary pleasures, but we hold fast to his promise that there is a better kingdom up ahead. We cling to his promise, even when our situation says, I don't see any sign that it's happening. That's what faith does. Second thing I notice about Simeon's faith is that faith confesses the character of Christ. Faith confesses the character of Christ because Simeon is devout. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And one day, guess what? In walk, Mary and Joseph with Jesus. And then he begins this amazing declaration of who this baby is. But Luke gives us a few details just kind of to set the stage. Because you know what? We kind of... You know, probably have grown up with some books that when it shows baby Jesus, there's like a little halo around its head. Have you ever seen those books? And kind of like a little glow. And so, you know, Simeon was in the temple, and all of a sudden this little baby came in with this glow all around him. He's like, aha, that's the baby. That's not the way it was. Okay, sorry to burst your bubble. The Bible says that there was no form or comeliness that we should ever admire him. I don't know about you, every now and then I've watched a spy movie. And you know what I find is really interesting? That they pick like some of the Hollywood's finest specimens of humanity to be spies. Which is crazy, right? They pick a guy who's like like, chiseled features and they put him as a spy because you want your spy to be the one that everybody looks at all the time while they're trying to do their work. No, that's not the way spy. You don't want to be noticed as a spy, right? You don't want to have everybody's heads turned, watching you, watching your every move. You want to be the guy that nobody remembers, the guy that's forgettable. That's the best way to be a spy. And it's interesting, if Jesus comes on the scene, the Bible says there's nothing that stood out about him in his physical characteristics. There was no halo around him. There was no aura glow shining off this baby as he walks in. Matter of fact, Luke makes it really clear. He, he'll start in verse 21, and he'll talk about the fact that on eight days, at eight days, Jesus got circumcised. And then according to um, Leviticus 12, women had to wait 40 days. And so in verse 22, he talks about the time of her purification, that after 40 days, they would come in and they would offer an offering. Ordinarily, a burnt offering had to be a lamb, while the sin offering was a pigeon or turtle dove. But those who were poor were permitted to offer one of the birds for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. You can look that up in Leviticus chapter 12. And the law also, which you'll find um, also in uh, verse 23, every male that opens the womb is going to be holy to the Lord. And so if you had a firstborn that was born, instead of dedicating him into the temple service— you could pay, um, they could be redeemed by the offering of a sacrifice. And so that was the, the case that was happening here. Three things that it mentions were happening. But the offering of two doves tells us this, that Jesus was born into a poor family. At the most, you could make him poor middle class. Jesus knew poverty and hardship from the very beginning. His social status didn't stand out. His physical presence did not stand out. And though Jesus was the centerpiece of human history, very few few people saw it. The eyes of flesh that looked that day just saw this poor couple walking in with a little cooing baby. That's all you would have noticed as they walked in that day. So if you were at the the temple that day, you would have seen just this, this poor couple walking in with just another plain baby. Or ugly baby. However you look at newborns. (laughs) Okay, I'll, I'll claim the ugly. I, all, all our boys look like grumpy 80-year-old men for the first two months. <laughs> That's all you would have seen, though. 
And yet Simeon, Simeon sorry, by the, by the inside of the Holy Spirit, picks him up and says what? This is our comfort. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is our rescuer. It's interesting the words he says this. He says, um, uh, let me see here. Uh, yeah, verse 29. Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He said, this is no, no just afterthought. This is the one that you have prepared, the one that you have brought, the one to rescue us. It's really interesting. He says this, you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. He says this is available for all. In a day and an age where the Jews said salvation is only for the Jews, he by faith with the power of the Holy Spirit says, this child is going to be for the world. He's going to bring salvation for the world. It's true that the Lord was a Jew, but he didn't come just for the Jews. Remember he met a Samaritan woman at the well, and what he said, I'm going to give you living water. Remember the Roman centurion? He says, listen, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel. When he was crucified, it was a Roman centurion too that said, surely this man was the Son of God. Matthew 4, 16 puts it, puts it this way, that people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. But I think it's really interesting, last part of verse 32, it says, and for glory to your people Israel. The Jews had been downtrodden, right? They had rejected God. They had killed the prophets, and there was silent years, and they, they had suffered as a result of that. And he said, the glory of Israel has come. Isaiah 62, 3 says, You also shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. After all these years, God's promises are coming true. That's what he said. The glory of Israel has come. The one who will rescue us. The one who will bring us true peace has come. And you know, that kind of hit me in the heart as I start thinking about that. Israel's glory came. And guess what? Israel did with their glory. They discarded him, didn't they? They threw him away. John 1.12 says, but John 1.11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. How sad is that? The glory of Israel came to the nation, and they did not receive them. They turned him aside. As I think about that, I think about this thought, is that the Savior is available today. See, not the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But some of you will walk in and out of this building without ever entering into that glory, into that blessing. Because you do not receive him. You do not bow the knee to Jesus and receive him as your Savior. John 1, 12 says, but all, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. And all of this, Simon, Simeon, sorry, is telling us something crucial. He's saying, by sending the Son to the earth, he came to be for the people. He came to rescue the people. He came to be the glory of people. Will you accept or reject? Will you believe? Isaiah 45 says this, Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Have not I the Lord? There is no God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. Come to me and be saved. And Israel said, no, we do not want the Savior. 
One thing I, I was thinking as I was reading this, the significance of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible said he was full of the Holy Spirit, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he looked at this baby and said, what, this is Jesus. I really think this reminds us that, of what the Bible says, that we can only see properly through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember Matthew 16, when Jesus came to a century of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they're like, well, some of, you, some of them think you're, you know, certain prophets, and Elijah and Jeremiah. And he says, well, who do you say I am? And Jesus, uh, sorry, Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you because flesh and blood did not declare it to you, but my Father in heaven. He said, you knew that because of the ministry of God in your life. John 3, Jesus will say that. He said, truly, truly, I tell you, unless somebody is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And as we come to this Christmas season, as we come to declare that the Savior has come, it means that we better be a people that are on our knees praying that God will open eyes, that the Spirit will convince men of the truth that the Savior has come. Because otherwise, they'll say he was just a historical man. That's all. You know, we're planning events here at the church. We have our Christmas Eve. We have our um, living nativity that we're doing. But, you know, we can put all the thought into it. We can plan the best sermons, the best, you know, walk through text that we can. But at the end, guess what? We will have no impact unless the Holy Spirit is at work. You can pass out your invitations and share your tracts at Christmas with your neighbors. But guess what? They will have no impact unless the Holy Spirit is at work. And so I encourage you, this, this Christmas season, let's be people of prayer and say, God, may your Holy Spirit work in the lives of those around me. Thirdly, third aspect of faith is that faith comprehends the division that Christ brings. Because then Simeon goes on after he says, Lord, thank you. Then he actually blesses Joseph and Mary. And then he says something very interesting to Mary. I don't know if you caught it. He says this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He said that this child is going to bring a division to this world. Really what he's saying, he said there is no neutral position when it comes to Jesus. You're either for him or you're against him. He's saying Jesus is humanity's dividing line. Our relation to him divides all men according to eternal destiny. Jesus himself said in, in Matthew 10, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And Jesus divides humanity. You know, there was Herod, and then there was the wise men. Herod says what? I want to kill. The wise men said we want to worship. There was Peter who repented, and Judas who what? Betrayed and went out and committed suicide. There was Pilate who tried to wash his hands, and then there was the centurion who said, Surely this man was the Son of God. There was the thief who blasphemed and the one who prayed, and Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll find that through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, and through the history of the world, that Jesus is the dividing of society. As Jesus comes to the cross, and a sword that day not only pierced Jesus' heart, but also pierced the heart of his mom as she watched him on the cross. She most likely remembered these words that Simon prophesied, that that moment in Gethsemane's hill would forever divide humanity. As John 1 put it, right? He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave them the power to become the children of God. Only two classes 
of people in this world. Those who have eternal life and those who suffer eternal death. Those who have been saved from their sins and those who will die in their sins. Matthew 25, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from the other. He will be the divider. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. As Simon looked at the baby, he says, This baby is going to be the divider of humanity. Can I ask you this evening? We looked at what Simon confessed. He says, I believe this baby is the Savior. But what is your confession today? Who, what is Jesus to you? Because he's either life or death. He's either heaven or hell. He's either joy or sorrow. He's guilt or forgiveness. He's salvation or condemnation. He's everlasting life or everlasting punishment, depending on your choice. Depending on your choice. By faith, Simeon looked at Jesus and saw his salvation is that what you see this evening? Because it can be your salvation too. Do you believe that Jesus is the promised rescuer for your sin? If so, then do you see him now as the soon returning king? Because Jesus promised, didn't he? He said, if I go away, remember in John 15, I believe, if I go away, I will come again. That's his promise. He went away, and so therefore he's going to come again. That's our expectation of faith this evening. While we wait, though, in the not yet, right? Are you coming today? Well, not yet. I don't know about tomorrow yet. I'll tell you at the end of tomorrow, right? But we're in the not yet. Second Peter, as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we're waiting on his promise. In verse 14, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Can I ask you, church, are you living expect in expectation? Understanding that every event we see in the world, that every year as we pass, means we're one step closer to his return? He's coming back. The only reason he's given for his delay, the only reason is that he wants an opportunity for people to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to be on the right side of his dividing line. That's why he's delaying. And so that's why, church, there's an urgency to our calling. This expectation of faith puts an urgency on us to get the message out there because there will be a time when there's no more time to share the message of Jesus Christ. But Jesus will come as the judge. I heard a story about a guy who, back in the days where maybe you have them still, but a grandfather clock, and you know, it, it ding every hour. And so it was, um, he had gotten up close to midnight, or it hit midnight, and he's laying in bed, and, and he couldn't sleep, and so he's listening, and he's counting them, and it went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and then it went thirteen. And he, he sits up and he's like, what's going on? His wife like, what happened? He says, I don't know what's going on. He says, he says but I'll tell you this, it's later than it's ever been before. 
And I want to tell you, church, that today it's later than it's ever been before. Jesus has guaranteed he's coming back, and he says, the only reason I'm delaying is so that you can share the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are we doing with that time? What are we doing with that time? If we're expecting by faith and say, you promised the first time, and you fulfilled your promise. You're coming back. What are we doing? Romans 13, listen to these verses, church. Besides this, since you know the time is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's later than it's ever been before. It's closer than it's ever been before. The night is nearly over. The day is here. So let us discard the deeds of right darkness and put on the armor of light. As we come to this Christmas, do we, are we living with an expectation of faith? He's coming back. He's coming back. Is this the day? I don't know, but it's closer than it was yesterday. And we only have this time to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So church, I encourage you, when he returns, may we be found awaiting him and engaged in his ministry for the glory of the Son. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your promise. We live by your promises. And I'm thankful that the Bible says every promise in Jesus is yes and amen. And I pray if there's someone here that is not in Jesus, they know, maybe they have a head knowledge about Jesus, but they have never put their faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done and says, I need him to rescue me. I need him to be my Savior. I pray that tonight would be that night when they say, you know what, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. That when he returns, I will be anticipating it. I'll be looking forward to it because he is my righteousness. And because of that, I can dwell forever in his righteous kingdom. And Father, if that's our expectation, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, may we have that expectation of faith of your return. And because of that, be busy and engaged in your kingdom. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.